0: Welcome to the Lighting Your Way podcast. I'm your host, Guardian Nurses founder, Betty Long. During season three, we'll be delving in deeper to the amazing lives and stories of nurses and other healthcare professionals from around the country. We'll also be talking with a few of my nurse advocate colleagues at Guardian Nurses. You'll get a behind the scenes peek at the healthcare system as well as get advice on how to get the best care when you or a loved one is a patient. In recent weeks, the Omicron variant has spread easily and rapidly, causing yet another surge of illness and hospitalizations. While vaccinated and boosted people have experienced less severe symptoms, a lot of non-vaccinated people have been hospitalized and needed critical care support. In today's episode, my Guardian nurse's colleague, Stephanie Hausman, shares a recent story of one of her patients and how she supported and coached his wife to be her husband's advocate, and how Steph made a suggestion to the patient's clinical team that changed the course of his care. Stephanie Hasman, thank you for joining me today on the Lighting Your Way podcast. I appreciate your taking the time.
1: It's great to be here, Betty. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Yeah, No, I, I appreciate it. I know that you have been particularly busy uh, this, this month. This month is January, uh, what with COVID and the recent Omicron surge. So um, I know we want to get talking about one of your uh, patient stories, uh, particularly riveting story that, that I have heard um, being talked about uh, at headquarters. But before uh, we get into that, why don't you tell me a little about your nursing career? How did you, or why did you become a nurse?
1: Sure, sure. So I have been fascinated with nursing since I was very young. Uh, my grandmother, unfortunately, had rheumatoid arthritis and chronic kidney disease um, when she was in her forties. So my whole life I knew her, she was very sick.
0: Wow, and goodness. towards
1: the end of, yeah, it was, it was tough for her. Um, and towards the end of her life, um, she ended up on dialysis and was in the hospital a lot and I remember visiting her in the hospital and then the home health nurses coming out and just being in awe of what they were able to do, um, their skill, their compassion, just everything that that they did on a daily basis, I really admired,
0: and I always and, wanted to become one and How old were you at this point?
1: Um, when she passed, I was sixteen, um mm-hmm. so it was pretty much. Since the time I was eight years old, I would say. Wow.
0: Yeah, that's great. You know, and what was she in uh, Philadelphia? Was she in Philadelphia hospitals?
1: Yes. Yes. Philadelphia hospitals.
0: Okay. Yeah. It's, it's amazing to me No matter, you know, how many nurses I talk with um, we all have a story, which is always fun for me to listen to. And um, it's always particularly poignant when you hear a story like yours where You know, you're a young child and you're watching these nurses kind of work miracles, right? For your Mm -hmm. grandma. Uh, And, you know, they're like rock stars, right? They're like, wow, this is great. And grandma loves them and she feels better after they leave. And you think, "Okay, I want to be like this. Exactly. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Yeah, that's great. So uh, so you had decided early on Mm -hmm. and then tell me your path to to nursing.
1: Sure. So I started at Temple. Um, when I finished high school, graduated from nursing school in two thousand and five. Um, that's from Temple. From go there, Al's. yes, go Al's. <laughs> Um From there, I took a job at Pennsylvania Hospital and spent mm-hmm. about two years in high risk labor and delivery. Oh. Um, after that, I did some urgent care work, which led to case management work, um, and then I. Finished well right before I came to Guardian Nurses, I was at University of Pennsylvania. Um, I started in research in cardiac cardiac surgery, okay. and then transitioned into their um, tra- TAVR program coordinator, which is um, a transaortic approach to doing valve replacement.
0: So TAVR is an acronym mm-hmm. for trans. Yeah. Trans aortic valve, uh, valve replacement, trans valve replacement. TAVR. Okay. Um, you know, really healthcare is like the government. Sometimes we have so many acronyms. I know. <laughs> um, <clears throat> all right. So you were a coordinator for that. And then, um, so what led you to guardian nurses? What, it sounds like you had a pretty active career. What, what, um, what attracted you to the role of mobile care coordinator?
1: So um, although all of my experience was great, I felt like I was getting away from what brought me into nursing, which was the compassion and the care of the patient. Um, although I, I still was doing that in my previous roles, I felt as though everything was very time dependent. Um, it was just finish the task, move on to the next. Whereas with this role, it's very unique in that it's very patient focused. And we're allowed to have as much time as we need with these patients to make sure all of their needs are met. Um, and it, it really, truly is the focus is on the patient and about quality and not quantity. And it's very refreshing.
0: Great. That, no, I appreciate that. Um, that is, in fact, the the description of the role. Um, so. You are specifically, so we have a bunch of mobile care coordinator programs, and your role is specific uh, with a uh, school's health insurance fund. Uh, Tell us a little bit about your role with those folks.
1: Sure, sure. So I am an acute nurse in the mobile care coordinator um, role. So my job is when our members or patients under the member's insurance plan are hospitalized, I actually mobilize to the hospitals, um, see them when they're in their hospital beds. And that is where I can kind of um, impart change and make sure that these patients are being taken care of. I work closely with the patient and the family. I find out their goals of care and what they're looking for. And then I work with the medical care team to make sure that all of the goals are incorporated into the plan of care.
0: So I know that um, many uh, patients and families and, and also clients always are concerned about how the medical team and the nursing team in the hospital respond to to us or to you coming mm-hmm. in. Um, tell us a little bit about what your experience has been in the last um, six months.
1: So um, usually they're very open to us, but recently with the variant. Um, We have not been able to mobilize like we really want to, to make the biggest impact. Mm -hmm. And that is because a lot of the hospitals are back to no visitor restrictions. And that also includes us. So we're kind of at a disadvantage because although we can make contact over the phone, the biggest impact happens when we meet these patients face to face. And they're able right. to see that we are here. We are real. Uh, we really want to truly help them versus a right. phone call, which is rather impersonal.
0: Right. So so meeting somebody, as we often say, meeting somebody where they're at is often yes. in the hospital bed <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> when they're mm-hmm. uh, maybe scared, uh, don't know what's going on, a little vulnerable
1: mm-hmm. um,
0: so that you come in and offer your help as their nurse, which is pretty powerful for, a, I'm sure, a patient to hear that. Here, here, here's you who has critical care experience coming in to help them figure out what's happening. Um, is that often, do you have a lot of patients who say, oh, this is great, or do they say, yeah, I don't know what you are, get out of here?
1: <laughs> when I meet them face-to-face, I would say 95% of them are open arms, you know, to what I have to offer and what I can do for them. Um, and I, I think it's a relief when they see me come in, they know that I don't work for the hospital. And I always tell them I'm, I'm here for you, whatever your needs are, whether it's you need a cup of water right now or you need to refer to a really good skilled nursing facility. I, I can help, you know, wherever you are on that spectrum.
0: That's great. I, you know, hearing you say it, Steph, I, I, I think that's gotta be really cool to co- to walk in and be able to offer that to a, to a patient and their family, right? Cause it's scary, right? It, there's a lot going on in a hospital and oftentimes um, you know, our healthcare team, the communication, as I think often is the number one problem that we have in healthcare. And that is of course on a, on a very granular level, the, the problem, with the patient laying in the bed, they're not getting the communication they need.
1: Yes, exactly. Yep.
0: Um, So let me transition a little bit. So, so your work as the acute nurse uh, on this fund is working with patients who you said are identified uh, through a daily report. You go out and meet with them. So tell me about tee up a little bit. Tell me about this case uh, that we want to talk about.
1: Sure. Sure. So um, this case showed up on my reports um, the beginning of the year. I believe it was the second or third of January when we came back into the office. Um, And it took me a little bit to make contact with this patient because he was in the ICU and I reached out to his wife, but she initially didn't um, respond to my calls. Um, When she called me back, I learned that this gentleman, young, he's in his forties. He had developed um, COVID. Um, and that was mid-December. Hmm. Unfortunately, he was unvaccinated. Uh, so the symptoms hit him pretty hard. And right after Christmas, he ended up having to go to the hospital because his breathing became very strained and he was having a really hard time with his breathing. Oh. Did
0: did he have a uh, young man, right? It sounds yes. like a young man. Was, did he that- have any um, other issues that may have exacerbated his, the COVID?
1: He had underlying diabetes um, to start with, but otherwise a very healthy man before this admission.
0: Oh, wow. Okay. So that was, so that's early. So he was hospitalized in December. You got the report in January. You tried to reach out to his wife. So tell me, um, tell me what that started like. So she was probably busy, right? Probably having him in the ICU, taking up a lot of her time. And yeah. So tell me about that
1: so when I finally was able to reach her, um, she did answer the phone and I explained who I was and she was instantly, I could feel her relief when I started to talk to her. Um, because she did tell me how overwhelmed she was with the whole process. Um, you know, he had been in the ICU at this point since the end of December. And this was, I think maybe January the 11th, I want to say.
0: Wow. Okay. Um,
1: And he was not improving. He was still, um, you know, breathing on his own in that he didn't have a tube in his throat. He wasn't intubated, okay. but he was requiring high flow oxygen. So a big old oxygen mask on his face with okay. humidified oxygen. Um, and he wasn't making any improvements. His chest x-ray was pretty much the same. Uh, um, mm-hmm.
0: Were they... Were they? Um- Offering, I mean, he's in the hospital. He's in the ICU. What other treatments besides oxygen and monitoring? What other treatments were they offering him? So they put
1: him on steroids. They give him. They gave him the remdesivir, um, and then they did give him antibiotics just in case. So, um, and then mostly just comfort care um, and supportive care to kind of help him get through this. Oh. Um, so that was the initial call with with his wife.
0: Wow, um, okay, so mm-hmm. she's probably in her forties, also. Do yes. they have kids? Yes, yes, they do mm-hmm. young children, wow, wow. um, where was the family vaccinated? uh, yes, they were, yep, but he was not. He was not unfortunately, oh wow, okay, so, so he's in the i c u his wife is dealing with this, plus having two children at at home yes. um yes. probably who were being Um, not going to school because of the other issues Uh, that COVID presents. Uh, So what was your, like, tell me how you engaged with them or with her.
1: So I offered um, to reach out to the nurses to kind of be a bridge of communication, because as we know in the medical world, um, there's a lot of abbreviations. There's a lot of information that is thrown out to people. Um, and when you're a light person and you're not really familiar with those medical terms, it can all become very overwhelming and it can kind of feel like somebody speaking a different language to you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I offered to kind of be the in-between. And she would give me a call after she spoke with the nurses and the doctors um, with report, because unfortunately I couldn't get into the hospital. Um, and we would go over all of the notes and I would kind of break it down for her as to what each thing meant and, um, give her questions to present to the care team. And that
0: was at the beginning. So you were giving questions to, for her to ask the clinical team. So was there any point at which you, cause we need a HIPAA form to be signed by yes. him, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. we couldn't get that cause he was in no. the ICU. What, um, Was there any point where you got on the phone with the wife to talk with the clinical team? Yes. Yes.
1: So this was, um, you know, the end of late last week when I was just starting to, um, you know, form a relationship with the wife. And then on this past Monday, I received a call from her that unfortunately things had taken a turn for the worse.
0: Um,
1: Over the weekend, his chest x-ray um, became very hazy. So there was a lot of, um, consolidation and, and worry for pneumonias and just that the lungs were, were not working and failing. Okay. And when they did, um, cultures to look to see if there were a- anything going on in the blood, they came back positive and the patient uh-huh. was diagnosed with sepsis. Oh,
0: all right. Yes. Can you, um, for those who of us on the who's listening who are not nurses explain sepsis for us
1: Sure so sepsis occurs when a bacteria um an organism something that is bad for the body moves from one spot gets into the bloodstream and then has the ability to kind of travel to all of your different essential vital organs so it can go to your brain um your heart your liver it can pretty much go anywhere and cause chaos in those areas so it's it's bad when that
0: happens right and it is a life threatening um yes condition right so so she so okay so her husband is now septic Mm -hmm. and he's got covid and he's in the icu so what do you do
1: so i um asked her um you know what's been going on? Where are we at right now? You know, after she told me what happened over the weekend and she, um, it broke my heart. She told me that the doctors had called her and asked her or encouraged her to FaceTime her husband because they were going to intubate him. And unfortunately with COVID and then the sepsis on top of it, the likelihood of him being extubated and having the tube removed and him waking up was very slim. Um, You know, it was going to be very tough for him to overcome it at this point. So she actually had to FaceTime her husband to say goodbye, possibly one last time. Oh my God.
0: Okay. So, so I know that that happened two years ago right? And it probably happened last year. I mean, we, as we've Mm -hmm. endured this COVID pandemic in two years and we're almost at two years. So that was the, that was, I don't want to say strategy, but that was the way that we had patients, I'm sorry, family members communicating with their loved ones. That's still happening. So the FaceTime.
1: It is. is, Yes. Because after she told me this, I I made a call to the social work department and to the floor um, to find out if there was any way possible to get her in to just have a face-to-face with her husband and this facility and i know many many others um there is no no visitation whatsoever usually the only exception to that is at the very very end of life for that one final goodbye
0: but it sounds like it was it what, what was the medical team saying okay you know this is your opportunity so why wouldn't they allow her in
1: I think because they were still doing a life-saving measure so they were intubating so um you know the social worker said that if it got to the point that he could not be extubated and yeah. they had decided to withdraw care oh. then the wife could go up and and say goodbye
0: oh boy okay so so while he while he could still speak yes right, they were suggesting please call your Wife or call your husband. Okay, and was that on his cell phone? Or are they still offering the iPads? They are. They are. So
1: this facility has the iPads, um, which which is great, you know, in in this situation. So the nursing staff um, is able to FaceTime um, the loved ones with the patients who are in the hospital. So it was
0: done that way. Wow. I mean, we've seen so many stories of what the impact is on nurses who are in the critical care area, Mm -hmm. having those conversations, right. Teeing up those conversations where they're holding the iPad, you know, to the Ah. patient while his wife is telling him goodbye. I, I, you know, I thought we were a little bit further down the road from that. Um, That's got to be hard for everybody involved, particularly uh, the nurse holding the iPad. Mm -hmm. I I can't imagine. Wow. Um, okay. So, so here we are, we're, we're saying goodbye. Her, the wife is saying goodbye. So what next?
1: So, um, you know, I spoke to her for a while, listened to her. And because of my previous experience with Penn, um, I'm familiar with a kind of life saving procedure. Um, it's called ECMO. And okay. it stands for extracorporeal membrane oxygenation. Yikes. And,
0: mm-hmm. That's a, that's a, a $64,000 term. Hold on. Extra corporeal uh-huh. membrane oxygenate. Wait, I hold on. ECMO ECMO. Yes. Okay. All right. So, so you brought that up to her.
1: I did. I did. Okay. I, I explained it to her and basically what ECMO is, is, um, it's very similar to the heart and lung machine that they use during open heart surgery. Okay. So it's used to give the lung and sometimes the heart um, a break time to okay. heal um, and still allowing the body to get what it's, what it needs. So okay. um, it's usually a, a cardiac surgeon and an anesthesiologist will put Pretty, pretty large tubes into veins and sometimes an artery, depending on where the issue is, um, to allow blood to come out of the body and it flows into this ECMO machine. And the job of the machine is to remove the waste, the carbon dioxide from our blood, and then it filters it and puts oxygen into our blood.
0: Which the, is normally done by the lungs, but yes. obviously his lungs weren't working. Okay.
1: His lungs are not working.
0: So it's kind of um, like an extra set of lungs. It is.
1: Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it's an extra okay. set of lungs. Um, and then after that, the blood is rewarmed and then it's put back into the body. So okay. by doing this, it lets the lungs rest and heal from, mm-hmm. in this case, COVID, the sepsis, you know, whatever was going on inside of
0: his body. Oh, wow. Okay. And so you brought this up, had, had the clinical team at this hospital brought it up to his wife? Clearly not no. if they're putting it. No. That- yeah, they, they okay. did not bring it up.
1: She had never
0: heard of it. Um,
1: So what we did was um, we were able to get the critical care nurse practitioner on the phone. So myself, the nurse practitioner and this patient's wife had a um kind of conference call. Um, okay. And I brought it up, I just kind of said, you know, would ECMO be an option for this patient? Because it seems like the likelihood of him coming out of this isn't good. And this could be a life-saving measure that hasn't been brought up yet. Um, Right away, she told me that she was gonna take it to the attending who was was not on the floor at that time. And she promised to get back to us as soon as possible. And uh, wow. amazingly, which was great, within the hour, uh, my patient's wife had received a phone call from Penn's ECMO lung rescue team. Um, okay. So instantly after we had that conversation and I brought it up to the nurse practitioner, she took the information to the care team. The care team said, hmm, I think this is a could maybe be an option. And they made contact with Penn so Penn could start the evaluation process.
0: So wow. So so why do you think Steph, I mean what's the what's your insight into here's a hospital it's in it's in South Jersey, you know, what why wouldn't they have said to the wife, "Hey, listen, we can't do anything more, but we we might be able to transfer him." Why didn't they think of it? Do you think? I like, what? think that um I don't
1: know if it's a mix of things. Um, One, I think that a lot of the clinical teams and some of the smaller hospitals um, aren't familiar with, you know, this lung rescue program that Penn has and other facilities have in the area. So when they're treating cases like this, they're used to, you know, their plan of care. Let's try X, Y, and Z. And if it doesn't work, then we're out of options. Um, Wow. Yikes.
0: But but when you're talking about somebody's when you're talking about somebody's life, though, right, like, Mm -hmm. like, it seems to me you should exhaust all other options. So even like the the hint that ECMO exists somewhere within 100 miles. So right. Like, so it's okay. It's not it's not something we do here, but they do it there. So Mm -hmm. let's call them and see if they can help.
1: Even if it's a long shot, you know, if you know it exists, I feel like every care team should be making that call. So this way the the, um, ECMO team can evaluate these patients and say yes or no, you know, because you never know. There's some dire situations where patients meet all those inclusion criteria for ECMO. So I think it's worth a call for everyone who could potentially benefit from it.
0: Oh, absolutely. I mean, we mm-hmm. always say. I mean, at guardian nurses, we're always saying, "Look, you know, all they can do is say no, right?" So, exactly. So bring the question to the clinical team and say, "Would you consider this?" Yeah. So what? So what? So when you did that, or when the wife did it, what happened?
1: So Penn said that they had reviewed everything, and um, they were going to give it a little bit of time to see if there was any improvement while he was ventilated. And if there was no improvement, then they would possibly transfer him. Um, so we let it go the day. I got a call the next morning from the patient's wife um, that the patient was actually making progress while in intubating. Ah, okay, good. Which was amazing. Um, okay. So as of that point, he was still on Penn's radar. Penn was keeping an eye on him. And mm-hmm. they were just going to continue to kind of keep that conversation and that line of communication open between this facility and Penn.
0: So Steph, when that happens, right? So when you Mm -hmm. initiate or when the wife initiates a conversation with another hospital, that's not a that doesn't have the ability to do ECMO, is it you coordinating those conversations or is it the uh, physicians at the accepting facility coordinating with the physicians at the patient's facility? So,
1: So it is the accepting. So Penn's physicians coordinated with the physicians at this hospital,
0: okay. Um, okay, and they were
1: in constant communication. So you know the doctors and care teams could share information about the patient.
0: Great, I, I'm sure that the, I mean how the wife must have felt like, oh my God, there's another chance, right? Like how did it she? Did. Yeah,
1: she actually. The word she used was, "I feel a, sl- a sliver of hope now." Wow.
0: Right, so right, your your husband's critically ill, and they're telling you that you know you might want to say goodbye, and yet here is another option, mhm, yep, right that's that's got to be compelling for her yes, and then and then, and then the tide turns, and he starts to get better. so, um, where are we at now? He is still stable um each night uh he
1: well, from the wife, she said he had a little bump in the road yesterday. But he's back on track today. Um, he is still intubated. It is still a long, long journey, but he is showing signs that um, you know, his lungs are fighting. So okay. fingers crossed, he still progresses on that course. Um, and if not, you know, they always have that ECMO possibility in the back pocket, something right. to look,
0: look to. Right. So at a a certain point, so they're monitoring him at his current facility, anticipating that his own immune system will kick in and he will get better on his own. But in the case that it doesn't, we have this option to rest his lungs and to give him more chances to to extend. Okay. So that is, that's a fantastic story. Like for the wife, I mean, he's probably not going to remember much of this i suspect um but she certainly is for sure Mm -hmm. um so what do you you know what's your takeaway not your takeaway but but what do you want our listeners to know about i mean hopefully not people listening get COVID and and they're in icu on a ventilator but what do you want the takeaway to be from this story
1: So the takeaway that I think is appropriate is that even when a facility tells you that this is all they can do and that there are no other options, press to be sure that there are no other options. Talk with the social worker. Talk with the attending physician. Ask if there are other hospitals that maybe have technologies that the hospital that your loved one is in really, they don't have
0: access to. So, so, all right. So I, I get that, right? So push, push, ask questions, Mm -hmm. push, but, but what if, so this is a, uh, a South Jersey hospital and we're in close proximity. I would expect that most other tertiary care facilities are within driving range or helicopter range or something. tell me about if this had happened, would they have taken your patient via ambulance or air transport? So it would have been
1: air transport. And one of the things that um, Penn has, which is very unique, is a few years ago, they started a Penn lung rescue program. Mm. And that is run by a great cardiac surgeon and a great anesthesiologist. And they have a great care team. And when patients who are too unstable to be transported via ambulance, need ECMO, what they do is the anesthesiologist and surgeon and nurses can get on the um, helicopter. They can fly down to wherever the patient is. They can um, start ECMO at whatever hospital the patient is at. And then once that ECMO is started, they can transport them back to Penn Presbyterian. And the critical care nurses at Penn Presby, along with, um, you know, the anesthesiologist and the cardiac surgeon, monitor that patient and take them under their care until the ECMO can be removed. Wow.
0: how? I mean, have you, in your experience, what's the, I guess, average length of time that, say, say this patient once if he were to be transferred, is ECMO a short-term thing or, you know, is it a long-term thing? Talk, talk a little bit about that.
1: So it's usually short term, um, you know. In, in most cases, um, they really don't like to keep you on it for longer than a week or two. Um, you know, okay. Uh, the The longest I personally have seen was 28 days for a patient wow. who's very young, and she's doing yeah. wonderful. Um, but recently, I have been hearing that I believe one patient, not at Penn, this was at a different hospital. I just read a story for 14 weeks the patient was on ECMO. On ECMO, yes, which oh was crazy. Wow. So I, uh, you know, I need wow. to read more into that because, um, you know, it's still so new. We're still learning the benefits and you know the risks of keeping th- keeping people on it for an extended period of time. But normally, just- it is just short
0: term. Yeah. Cause with everything in healthcare, right? Or with everything in medicine, I should say, like, you know, there are risks and benefits and, and exactly. certainly there are benefits to this, but you know, 14 weeks later, uh-huh. there are also risks. Yeah. So, um, I remember maybe I'm dating myself, but I remember when ECMO was first started as a pediatric, uh, treatment, like way back, like mm-hmm. years, probably before you went to nursing school. <laughs> um, but you know it's so it it's so gratifying to me to know that it is now being offered as a treatment for COVID, right? Because that's mm-hmm. typically a lung infection, and obviously we want to rest the lungs. So here's ECMO, right?
1: Yes.
0: Um, and so your patient is now stable. His wife is still in touch with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. But just, yeah I yeah. actually
1: got off the phone with her about an hour ago.
0: Okay, right. Yeah, you're probably her best friend. I... <laughs> <laughs> now, have you met her yet? I have not. No, with wow. COVID, it's,
1: it's so tough because normally wow. I'll meet family and everybody in the hospital, but it's all via
0: phone. Wow, that is so cool. I can't wait till you actually meet her. She's probably going to get a big squeeze, <laughs> right? And yeah. her husband's going to be like, why are you squeezing? Why are you hugging that woman? <laughs> Who is this person? <laughs> Wait, right? Uh,
1: yeah,
0: that's that's great. That's great. All um, right, so so that go ahead. Say, I'm sorry, go.
1: Ahead. Oh no, I'm just I'm just hoping he continues to improve. Like he is, he is a fighter. You know, his wife has said that he is a fighter, um, and hopefully he won't need to be transferred. And hopefully he'll be, you know, the very small statistic of people who get extubated. So that's what I'm hoping for.
0: Yeah, and and I just want to say like. For the And I, I know we're not going to talk about this, but I do think, I mean, think about the extraordinary expense that is being put into saving this gentleman's life when he just needed to get a vaccination, right? Like yeah. there's a lot of money being, and 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 that's why he's covered by insurance. But, you know, when you look at the big picture that we all look at, because we have thousands of patients that we deal with that there is such an, an ability to get vaccinated, get the booster, because really uh, you know data is showing that those who are vaccinated and who are boosted are not requiring ICU level of care yes. like like folks were two years ago when we had no vaccinations or boosters.
1: Yes. That's that's personally what I'm saying. Um, unfortunately my patients who are at that level of care um, for me personally, all of them have been unvaccinated. Um, all of my patients who have been vaccinated are either just recovering at home or maybe just needed a day or so of, right. you know, oxygen on a regular med search floor.
0: Yeah, I I, I was um, reading an article yesterday uh, in the Seattle Times, which is where one of our programs is, and they're... Uh, they, Seattle and Puget Sound, King County has a large number of people who are vaccinated. And so they, uh, I'm sorry, the hospitals in King County are not seeing the level of ICU admissions that we are seeing here on the East Coast because of their level of vaccination. And, and I think that that's important to note that while, yes, people who are vaccinated and who are boosted are getting COVID and may need to be hospitalized but they are not requiring the icu level of care that you and we are seeing with the folks who are who are unvaccinated yes yes, yeah yeah so all right um so okay so steph that's what your takeaway is so you want our listeners to ask the question right that's what you want our takeaway to be yes
1: yes is there more is there something else Always probe and ask just to make sure that they have covered every base possible, even ask right. is there anything um you know in in research is there anything that can be done at any facility just to give your loved one that opportunity
0: no i I think that's a great takeaway and and certainly, if they don't have a steph hausman on <laughs> an, on their side <laughs> if they don't have a steph hausman i I would encourage them. To ask the question, keep asking. Uh, don't be afraid because yes. you know we're, we're all we all want to see people get better, uh, and it may not be the hospital that has the facilities that you need. So please ask the question. Per Steph, tell them yes. Steph sent you. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Absolutely,
0: <laughs> Steph. Thank you um, so much for joining uh, me today. I really enjoyed our conversation. uh Keep doing what you're doing, and good luck to your patient and his wife. Thank you. Thank you so much, Betty. All right. Take care. Have a good weekend. Thank you. You too. If you have any questions that you would like us to address in a future episode, please email us at podcast at guardian nurses.com. That email again is podcast at guardian nurses.com. We would love to hear from you. Thank you for joining us this week. You can find the Lighting Your Way podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google, YouTube, Spotify, and Stitcher. If you liked what you heard, tell a friend and leave us a review. You can learn all about Guardian Nurses Healthcare Advocates on our website, guardiannurses.com. So until next time, find some joy in your life, pet all the good doggies and kitties, and remember to tell your people that you love them. Take care.